Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations by TSBR. I'm Frederick Otto, the founder of the Sustainability Board Report. And as always, I'm here with Helena Gudjudsdottir. Today, we had the great pleasure to speak to Fiona Reynolds. Fiona is the CEO of Connexus Financial, but is probably best known as the previous CEO of the United Nations PRI, Principles for Responsible Investment. Helena, you are an investment professional within the ESG space. It must have been a great pleasure to be part of the call with Fiona. You know, absolutely. It was extremely fascinating. And I think she has such great insights and experience from different arenas of this industry. And I mean, she starts by sharing how her whole journey sort of interlinks with ESG, which I thought was extremely relevant, especially to the current climate. She starts in the pension industry in Australia. That's where she became aware of the democratization of finance and that the financial system should work for the many and not for the few. And I think that's extremely important and very relevant to today's topic. Then, of course, we discussed the UNPRI. They are huge all over the world now. And it's extremely important, I think, to understand a bit the role that UNPRI has played for responsible investment. Her legacy, as we discussed in today's episode, is really this sort of mainstreaming of ESG, making it relevant in the investment conversations. And I think she's very personable, and as you can probably agree in our conversation, that she shares her own passions of climate change and human trafficking. I think our listeners will be really impressed with the stories that she shares at the end and some fantastic advice that I think everyone can take with them in the leadership toolkit. What about you, Freddie? Was there anything highlights for you here today? You are right. At the end, we'll always ask the same two questions. And her response to who inspires her is uh, not the usual response and is quite touching. In fact, she's talking about grassroots, but she's giving two very concrete examples. It makes you think about your approach to leadership and the team that you build around yourself. So there is a follow-up that we are posting in the episode description as well. Any final thoughts about our conversation, Helena? No, I think we've covered everything and we should dive into today's episode. On today's episode of Leadership Conversations, we welcome Fiona Reynolds. Fiona is the CEO of Connexus Financial. She served as the CEO of the Principles for Responsible Investment, PRI, for over nine years, stepping down at the beginning of this year. As part of her role in the UK, she was on the board of a number of organizations, including United Nations Global Compact, Climate Action 100+, the UK Green Finance Institute, the Greening the Belt and Road Global Committee, and the Asset Owners Net Zero Alliance. Fiona was named one of the 20 most influential people in sustainability globally by Barron's Magazine, and has twice been named one of Australia's 100 Women of Influence by the Australian Financial Review. Fiona also serves on the board of multiple for-profit organizations. 
Fiona, it's a great pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Fiona, we always start here with the person first before we get a little bit more topical. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about your leadership journey and career, what you are passionate about and the work that you currently focus on? Sure. Well, okay, a little bit about my career. So I started my working life, what's called superannuation in Australia, but it's really the pensions industry in Australia in the 1990s. And this was when compulsory superannuation just came into being in Australia. So this was legislation that was introduced by the Labor government after a long campaign by unions to really ensure that working people could retire with dignity. So prior to this, most working Australians only retired on a fairly meagre age pension. And it was really only people in senior government roles or senior management in very large corporations that actually had any superannuation, any other pension besides that. So I really very much became passionate about superannuation and its ability to allow working people to retire with dignity. I went on to become the CEO of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. It's a body for pension funds on the not-for-profit side, so not commercial funds, but those that provide all of the returns to members that are done on a mutual collective basis. And it was working in superannuation that I really came to understand the importance of the democratisation of wealth and finance. So I'm really dedicated to creating a financial system that is run for the many and not for the few. And this is what I'm really passionate about. I came to the ESG issues fairly early in life, and that was through working with superannuation funds and other pension funds around the world, and really understanding that capital could be used to influence corporate behaviour. And again, that if we could change behaviour, then that again was for the benefit of pension fund members. Because to me, it was always that you need to think not just about the money that you are saving for people's retirement, but you need to think about the world into which those people live and are going to retire. And if you take their money and use it in a way that pollutes the planet and also exploits people, well, that really doesn't do anyone any favours. So to me, this has always really been about the fact that you need to think about ESG issues. I have that belief in that we need to balance people, profit and planet. And the ESG issues, I suppose, that I've always been most passionate about are around climate change and human rights. And I still work on these issues. I'm on a number of boards and advisory boards that focus on sustainability, ESG issues. I'm going to continue to make it my life's work. I want to continue to contribute in whatever way I can, no matter how small that might be. And I think we all need to contribute to the world being a better place. Fantastic. I 100% agree. And you just mentioned uh, you were interested in a financial system that works for the many and balance profit and planet. Most people probably remember you as the CEO of the Principles for Responsible Investment that you were incremental in getting started up, I believe. So could you give us a little bit of a summary of your legacy at the PRI and uh, what that organization means to today's investment approach? Well, I believe that the PRI has had the biggest single influence on the growth of responsible investment. 
So when I started at the PRI, we had around about a thousand signatories and 30 staff. The PRI now has more than 5,000 signatories. It operates in 50 countries. It's got 300 plus staff across the world. The signatories to the PRI represent more than 120 trillion US. The six principles for responsible investment to me really still underpin a lot of responsible investment strategies. So I suppose I see as part of my legacy, although when I say this, I obviously did not do this alone, but I see as part of the legacy is mainstreaming ESG. So when I started at the PRI, that was our aim. Our aim was to make ESG a mainstream investment issue. And I think we're there now. There's still a lot of work to do, but I think it is considered mainstream. And I also hope that I really contributed to investors starting to focus on climate change, but also on social issues arising from the energy transition. So I did a lot of work, for example, on issues such as the just transition for workforces and communities that are impacted by climate change. I really see the E and the S and the G is very much linked together. I think sometimes people like to try to silo these are E issues, these are S issues, these are G issues. But in most cases, they're intertwined. Climate is definitely an environmental issue, but it's very, very much also a social issue. Absolutely. And sometimes people focus too much either on the E or on the S. So I believe it's really important to balance those two, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fiona, I've read a great article from you recently. I believe the headline was ESG, it's really quite simple. We heard over the last couple of weeks and months quite a lot of negative press about ESG, particularly from the United States, where on state level now legislation is being drawn up or I believe even implemented that would limit investment in ESG funds or financial products. In your article, you argued that it's really a common sense approach to consider material, environmental, social and governance risk for long-term investments and really understand how externalities impact those investments. So where do you think this new negative narrative has impacted the investment approach around ESG? And is it really that simple or what do we need to do now? Well, I actually do think that ESG is really quite simple, a simple concept, as you were just saying, for pension funds, you know, they're long-term investors, they don't operate in a vacuum and they need to understand externalities and they need to understand risk, including ESG risk, and they need to ensure that their portfolios are not having too much negative impact on the environment and on people. I think, however, now that ESG is becoming mainstream, that there is a, what I call the financialization of responsible investment. And you've got all these investment types that have come into the industry. And I think that in some way that they think that there is some magic score or one piece of data that's going to give them all of the answers that they need about a company's ESG position. But, you know, responsible investments far more nuanced than that. And it takes a lot of work. It takes engagement. It takes really understanding a company. And what are the material issues to each company when it comes to ESG? Because they're all different. And to me, responsible investment's always been about how do you put the values into value? And I hope that doesn't sort of get lost as we're moving forward with responsible investment and seeing a far more regulated 
area. I think what's happening in the United States though, or not that I think, I know what's happening in the United States is just political. So again, you know, we always see in the, in the United States that there's huge lobby groups and that it's the lobby groups yet again, who are wanting to stop progress in the ESG space. So again, they've gone to the politicians, they pay lots of money and they influence them. They want to be able to continue to pollute the planet, to be able to exploit people and do what they like to extract as much value as they can at any cost, you know, as, as how I see it. And so now that there's more and more investors who are saying, no, you can't do that anymore. That's not what we want as shareholders. They're starting to push back. And I think that's all it is. It's all about politics. Do you think that is a threat then to asset owners to allocate their funds in the ESG products that they would like to? Or do you think there will be always sort of ample opportunity to invest responsibly or bite these political hiccups? Yeah, so obviously it's made a little bit more difficult when the, a state sort of bans you from doing it and you might be the pension fund for that state. But can you imagine being the members of that pension fund whereby they've been banned from considering environmental impacts and issue, issues like climate change on your portfolio? I wouldn't want any of those people actually managing my money and I can't see how it could possibly be in line with their fiduciary duty to not consider these very serious threats to your portfolio and to your returns. I hear more and more now the term ESG fatigue. I'm not sure if that hails more from the investor community or in fact from pensioners themselves and individuals. Do you think we have reached a peak ESG and people just want to get on with their investment and don't really want to worry about it anymore? Or do you think that is still on the fore of most people's mind to really have their funds invested responsibly? Yes. So I think that the average person sitting at home just expects that their money is managed in a responsible way. And they shouldn't have to be really on top of all of this themselves. I mean, you know, they want people to manage their money in a responsible way. I do think that within the industry, within circles, there's certainly, I don't know about ESG fatigue, but I do think that there is a healthy scepticism. There's concerns about greenwashing. And there's a lot of wondering about um, if ESG issues are now becoming all about compliance. You know, it's a new regulation and I tick the box that I've complied with this box. I worry about that because I hope this doesn't lead to losing sight of what the original purpose of responsible investment was, which again is really about how do you think about shareholder capitalism, not just shareholder cash capitalism, I should say. How do you think about stakeholder capitalism? How do we make sure that we're acting in the best interest of the people whose money that this actually is, which in at the end of the day, a huge amount of money that's sloshing around in the system is out there is yours and my pension fund money uh, for our retirement. And we hear now more and more about money managers being sued for greenwashing, a lot of labeling of responsible investment or ESG funds, in fact, looking under the hood and not quite what the market has expected. Are you happy with the response of lawmakers taking action on that greenwashing or what do you think is the right course of action here? 
You absolutely don't want people greenwashing. That's the last thing we need. The industry needs to have credibility. At the same time, I would also say that it's still a developing industry. So we don't necessarily have climate change and, and climate finance. It's a very fast moving and evolving space. So it doesn't mean that we've got all of the answers to everything just at the moment. As long as it's done in a genuine way, that's a really good thing. Absolutely. And I want to switch gears a little bit and move to the sort of individual leadership and the responsible that individual leaders have. I'm sure you've spoken to and met many leaders, CEOs and boards, of course, during your career. What are the behaviors that leaders need to display now? And what is the difference that the individual can make, whether that's on corporate level, whether that's on government level? What system of behaviors do we have to get to eventually Well, first of all, I'd say about leadership and the sort of individual or collective, I mean, you need a bit of both, don't you? But really, with all of the challenges that we face, collaboration and ways of working collectively are essential because there's no one organisation that can tackle these issues on their own. And it's really only by working collaboratively that we can succeed in addressing issues such as human rights abuse, in addressing issues like climate change. And we need the public sector and the private sector to work together. But often you need that individual who's really going to um, be the one who stands up and gets things moving. So I think in terms of behaviour within the investment sector in particular that I'm talking about, but I would say this is probably in the corporate sector as well, I think leaders need to set aside their competitive streak and their competition with others, other organisations, and really work together about having an eye on bringing about change within the real world, that it's not all about just them and their organisation. It's about that bigger picture and everyone moving and agreeing and moving in the right direction. And I think, you know, that's to me what real individual leadership is about, doing that and then working with others. I really like that answer, that building coalition and setting aside the competitive streak. I think that's a very, very good point. Fiona, lastly, fairly recently, I would say, there has been a notion pretty much everywhere in the world, really, about board's responsibility for ESG oversight. Where do you stand on the role of the board when it comes to governing sustainability? Oh, I think it's absolutely essential. So where I have in my role worked with boards and known organisation where the board actually owns the issues and they have it as fundamental to their board belief that sustainability is there and it's written down and then they then drive it through the executive. That's when it, I think the magic happens and that's when it really happens in a much deeper and more meaningful way. I think boards are absolutely critical. And let me ask you one follow-up question, a little bit more on the logistical side. Do you think it's important for boards to have a specialist sustainability committee? Where do you see how engaged directors have to be generally on the board? Or is it enough to have experts within the committee? What should the structure be like? Or do you think that's um, very specific to any organization? Yeah, I don't think it needs to be a one-size-fits-all. I think it depends on the organization. So in some organisations, you'll probably have on some sustainability expertise on the board anyway, and if it's embedded as part of, your, part of your strategy. If not, I think having some in the staff, you know, is good. Or I'm, for example, on an advisory board for BASF, and they have an advisory board to their board on ESG. 
issues. So I think there's a whole range of ways that you can do it. And I wouldn't want to see just one model pushed on an organization. Makes sense. Thanks so much, Fiona. Now we're almost at the end of our podcast, but we always finish with two questions that we ask all of our guests. And this happens to be our favorite part as well. So let me ask you, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on yourself or society at large? Yeah. Okay. So look, in my role, particularly in my role at the PRI, but also when I, I suppose, ran AIST, et cetera, running organisations, really, I've met kings, I've met queens, prime ministers, presidents, captains of industry. Now, these people have powerful roles and they do help move the dial. There's no doubt about it. And if you can get their buy-in, that is amazing. You move things along. But these people all have power and privilege. So really, to me, at the very least, they can do is use it for advancing society and protecting the planet we all live in. So the people who really impressed me the most are grassroots activists who um, really get out there without power and without money and try to bring about change. And I just want to use a quick example. So uh, a few years ago, I chaired with the United Nations University, a global financial commission on modern slavery and human trafficking. And in addition to the people in the finance sector, so making up banking, investment, pensions, insurance, etc., we included two survivors of modern slavery on the committee. So James was from Africa and he was sold onto the fishing boats by his parents as a child. And he didn't escape until he was 16 years old and the only thing that was keeping him alive was that he kept working every day but you know if you didn't keep working you just got thrown overboard. James now runs a charity to help victims and he set that up and he set up at a foundation and he works tirelessly to help other people. We also had a woman called Tamea who was a victim of sexual slavery so she now works with victims and she helps people escape sex slavery. So these are inspiring people who have survived great tragedy. And even after that, even after everything they've been through, they still have the courage to stand up, get up every day and be counted and to demand change. But even more than that, to help others. And they often have very little resource to do it. And they take on governments, they take on corporations. And I, I really admire those kinds of people. And I wish there were more of them in the world. Very powerful story, Fiona, indeed. And uh, perhaps we can include the link to James and Tamir's organizations for our listeners to have a look at. Thanks for sharing that. And then lastly, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and start applying today? regardless of what industry they work in, to set them up for more positive societal impact? Well, I always think that you have to just stand up to what you believe in and you have to undertake work that contributes to a better world and to a better society more broadly. So I really believe in getting satisfaction from working for the good of the collective. But I also think that you have to be brave and courageous and stand up against others. And that's not always easy, but I think if you're going to be successful, a successful leader, you do need to be brave and courageous. 
fantastic closing and yet again I couldn't agree more. Fiona Reynolds, thanks so much for coming on, taking the time. It was a great pleasure speaking to you today. I wish we had more time. Perhaps we get a chance to catch up again. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Frederick. It's been great to talk to you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.